We're in week three of a message series entitled Summer in the Psalms. And so throughout the month of July, we've been spending some intentional time as a church family in book three of the Psalms. And the Psalms are categorized into five books with each book reflecting one of the first five books of the Bible. So book three, which includes Psalm 73 through 89, uh, reflects the book of Leviticus with, with a major theme uh, being sanctuary or worship. This is something that we've clearly seen over the past couple of weeks. We're going to continue our series today with a message on Psalm 84. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Psalm 84. Psalm 84 um, is the first psalm in book three that was written by the sons of Korah. And uh, there are 11 psalms in total that are attributed to the sons of Korah. And uh, this group, this family, they were temple assistants and uh, musicians. Now their family history is pretty wild. And I, I thought about you know, sharing some of that with you this morning, but I thought it would make the message just a little bit too long today. Um, so if you'd like to do some additional study, if you'd like to learn more about the sons of Korah, uh, their father Korah, and their family line that really goes all the way back to the time of Moses, um, I have a short article that I can print off for you after the service today. I know we have some readers in our church family, so if that's something you'd like to do this week, just let me know and I'll get that to you. So the 11 Psalms that are attributed to the sons of Korah really are, are beautiful Psalms that express gratitude to God, uh, humility and living for God, and a longing to be in God's presence. Now, these are very worshipful Psalms, uh, with Psalm 84 being no exception. So Psalm 84 was likely written uh, before the Babylonian exile, when, when the first temple was destroyed and God's people were taken into captivity. We believe this psalm was written as a song of pilgrimage. The Jewish people, they were commanded to attend at least three Jewish festivals um, every year, major festivals, so the you know, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And so this meant that each family had to make several trips to Jerusalem if possible, at the very least, uh, the husband, the man in the house. And so they usually travel in caravans with the women and children leading the way and kind of setting the pace. And then the men and the younger men would follow closely behind. There, there are many songs of pilgrimage that were written to celebrate uh, their journeys to Jerusalem. And Psalm 84 is actually classified as a song of Zion uh, or a song of, of longing for Zion. Uh, Zion can mean uh, the city of God. Uh, it can mean Jerusalem or other physical locations like Mount Zion. Uh, the word Zion occurs over 150 times in the Bible. It can also mean fortification. And so the closer we get to the New Testament, uh, the meaning of the word seems to expand, taking on more of a spiritual meaning in the lives of God's people. But when we read this psalm in, in context, I think it's safe to say uh, that the word is used here to describe the writer's longing uh, to worship God in Jerusalem, to be in God's presence uh, with more of God's people. And you're going to see that when I read this psalm. Uh, something uh, that might help you remember Psalm 84, uh, among the other you know, 149 psalms, uh, is to think about the connection uh, that it shares with Psalm 42. 
Um, so I don't know if this is just coincidence, but Psalm 84 um, is Psalm 42 doubled. So 42 times 2 is 84. We, awesome. We've got some math whizzes in the audience today. It's good to know the company I'm in. So uh, Psalm 42 is the first psalm of the sons of Korah in book 2. And then Psalm 84 is the first psalm of the sons of Korah in book 3. And as we're going to see, there are some major similarities between these two psalms. Uh, they're both psalms of longing and psalms of, of pilgrimage. Uh, one of the most recognizable verses in Psalm 42 uh, is verse 1. And uh, this happens to be uh, a verse that inspired a song that is Joe Lidvina's favorite song. And uh, he even said at his funeral someday, we have to sing this song, so you got to help me remember that. I don't think we're going to forget. Uh, but Joe, we hope we have like 30 more years with you at least, 40, 50, um, just a long time. <laughs> but uh, so verse 1, it says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for for you, O God. This is a, a verse that's part of a psalm of longing to worship God, to be in God's presence. And uh, it's what we're going to read about in Psalm 84 today as well. So I'm going to start by reading this psalm in its entirety, and then we'll go back and unpack what we read. And uh, like last week's message, I'll provide some application along the way, but most of it will come towards the end of the message today. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we read uh, Psalm 84 aloud. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You can already see that yearning, that longing to worship God, to be in God's presence. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my God and my King. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look at Psalm 84 together as your people today, I pray, God, that you would be our teacher, that you would help me step out of the way, that um, as this last verse says, blessed is the one who trusts in you, that God, uh, you would grow our trust in you today. That, Lord, we would be individuals who are faithful followers of Jesus and a church body um, that... Is your hands and, and your feet and makes your name famous in this time and in this place. Lord, we thank you for uh, bringing us together today. And as we see this, this beautiful picture of longing to worship you and to be in your presence, that we would be reminded today we, we can be in your presence at any point throughout the day, 24-7. We thank you for that, Lord. 
We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. So one of the unique characteristics of this psalm are the terms of address. That's how the psalmist is addressing God. Things like Lord Almighty, uh, living God, my God and my King, God of Jacob. We see these terms of address over and over again. We, we see them in Psalm 42 as well. It's a language of longing, wanting to, to worship God and to be in his presence. Verse 3, we read about how the psalmists seem to be envious of uh, the birds. Have you ever been envious of birds? <laughs> it's kind of interesting here. This is, this is what he, he says. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my God and my King. So uh, the sparrow can make a nest in the house of God, can continually live there enjoying the presence of God. And the writers, they, they were not saying they wished they were birds. They just wanted to be in Jerusalem where they could worship God continually with more of God's people. This psalm contains three mockerisms. Mockerism, that's a fun word to say. Uh, mockerism is a, is a statement of blessing. And the first mockerism is found in verse 4. It, said, it says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. So the writers were saying, well, what a blessing it must have been for, uh, to be someone who never have, had to leave the temple. You know, unlike us commoners who had to travel long distances to Jerusalem several times a year and only on special occasions. What a blessing to be able to dwell in God's house every day, worshiping God continually. That's the, the heart here. That's the language. The second mockerism is found in verse 5. We just continue along. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. So the writers were saying there's, there's also blessing in the journey. So while there's blessing for those um, who get to worship God in his temple continually, there's also blessing for those um, who have to travel long distances uh, to get into the presence of God during this time. So verse 5 and verse 4 really are in contrast with one another. While there's blessing for those who get to be in God's house, there's also blessing for those who have to journey to get there. Um, it, it was author Tiffany Langford who wrote these words. She said, The reason uh, so many people miss out on the blessing is because they settle for a microwave dinner instead of waiting on the feast that God has for them. What does this have to do with this psalm? I thought it fit pretty well because the psalmist was willing to go to great lengths to get to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. And the reminder here for all of God's people is that there is blessing found in the journey. You know, when the years seem to be short, uh, friends, but, but the days seem to be long, we can remember that there's blessing in the journey. Not just blessing in the destination, but there's blessing in the journey. God blesses his people along the way. So there's powerful language in verses 6 and 7, and it really depends on uh, some interpretation of Hebrew words. I'm going to read these two verses for you. It says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, uh, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. These two verses are describing what happens along the way on this journey as these writers are traveling from their home to Jerusalem. Um, now we know there's a, there's a Bekah Valley in uh, Israel today, uh, but it's not clear if that's what they were actually writing about. Uh, in, in the Hebrew language, that word Bekah, it literally means weeping or shrubs. It's like a dry and weary land that they were describing. 
So where the journey began for them, it may have literally been a dry valley, but things changed the closer they got to Jerusalem. And that word pools at the end of verse 6, it says the autumn rains also cover uh, it with pools. It's the word barakah. It's best translated as blessings, which fits perfectly because he's saying on this, this journey, this connection here, the valley of Bacah, a place they had to travel through, it became a place of blessing along the way. The change of the land from weeping and shrubs to, to blessing, I, I think is a metaphor for what happened in the lives of God's people the closer they got to Zion. The longer they traveled, the more things seemed to green up as life returned. They, they experienced refreshment in their lives. And how fitting is this for, for our lives today as we follow Jesus? There are seasons of, of life that, that we go through and it just seems like a dry and weary land. But as we remain faithful to God, as we follow God, there's blessing in the journey. It's like things seem to green up over time. There's refreshment of mind and of, of soul. There's refreshment in, in our uh, commitment to the Lord. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I've been through several seasons like that. There, there have been many seasons in my life where I, I, I knew, I, I believed in God, that I, I loved God, but I just didn't feel, like my faith felt a little dry. It's like that dry and weary land. I felt like I just wasn't growing in my faith the way I knew that God wanted me to grow. Have any of you guys ever been there? Am I alone here? <laughs> He's saying there's blessing in the journey. And in fact, verse 7, I love this. He says, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. This is another way of saying they got stronger and stronger the closer they got to Zion. They got stronger along the way because they were leaning on the Lord. They were relying on God's strength. Again, there's blessing in the journey. Even when the road was difficult, God blessed his people. He helps his people along the way. Now, verse 10 is the most well-known verse in Psalm 84. Uh, when I read it, there's going to be some things for many of you that come to mind, primarily a song. Uh, but uh, verse 10, he says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Some of you are already singing the tune. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So th this comparison says it's better to be in God's courts, it's better to be in God's presence than to be anywhere else on earth. So it, man, I can think of some places that I would love to go, I'd love to travel to, I'd love to see. And the writer here is saying it's so much better to be in God's presence than to even see these places with your own eyes, to even experience these places uh, if you go there. Better to be in his presence. It also highlights how it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. What, is, what does that mean? Well, a doorkeeper, you can think of it this way. A doorkeeper was an insider. Right? A doorkeeper was someone who was able to stand at the entrance of the temple and welcome people as they came in. Now, I think being a greeter on Sunday morning is a pretty cool job. It's a needed job. Every job is important. But he's saying, here, you can think of it in that way. Like, as you're a greeter, you're an insider. You're not fully, you know, in the room yet, but, but you're part of what's happening. He's saying, I'd rather be a doorkeeper than uh, to, he's saying, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. The tents of the wicked describe an outsider, someone who was lost and living their life apart from God. I think that's a beautiful picture here. You know, Sunday mornings, we, we want to welcome people. We want the doors to be wide open, regardless of where someone's at in their faith journey, where they're at in their walk with, with Christ. They may not know the Lord at all. We want the doors to be open and for people to be able to come in and to hear the good news about Jesus. He's saying it's so much better to be the one greeting uh, 
than to be out in the world lost, wandering, and far from God. So there's a popular worship song from the early 2000s. You may have already guessed. It's from Matt Redman called Better Is One Day. How many of you have heard this song? Better Is One Day, yeah? Dan, Dan loves it. It's his jam. That's right up your alley, Dan. <laughs> but uh, it was written uh, directly from this verse. And actually, this song played a huge role in spawning an entire movement of college students during this time who were passionate about living for Jesus. This is known as the Passion Movement. Now, many of you probably heard of the Passion Movement. It still goes on today. The Passion Conference is a weekend event where college students come together from all over the country and they worship together and they hear biblical preaching that's really more focused on application, what it means to live for God at that age and stage of their life. So this verse and that song have had a lot of significance in the church in recent history. And I think it's easy for us to think about you know, hymns that were written 100 years ago, 200, 300 years ago, and the significance that they've had. Um, but we have modern songs that were written out of the church today uh, that have also had, um, uh, made a huge impact for the kingdom and have significance in the life of, of the church and the life of God's people. And this is, this is one of them. So Psalm 84 verse 11 will continue. He says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield, The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. We see this language in in many of the Psalms. Um, There's a connection here between, and this is important, uh, between our relationship with God and moral purity. There's always a connection between someone's relationship with God and moral purity. So as we grow in our knowledge of God through the word, We rely on the Holy Spirit to help us apply God's word to our lives. Um, What he's saying is it should affect our behavior. It should affect the way that we live our lives. And Jesus uh, talked about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus said, uh, blessed or blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So who will see God? It's it's the the pure in heart. It's, It's the saved. It's those who know Jesus and live for Jesus. So um, I, I think a, a simple sentence that can help us remember this aspect of Psalm 84 is that knowing uh, the Lord, knowing Jesus should lead to living like Jesus. And if all we're doing is coming in on Sunday morning and hearing a sermon and singing a few songs and we leave and nothing changes in our lives, then we're wasting our time, essentially. Saying when we come into the presence of God and we worship together, we learn together, it, it should be life-changing. We should leave differently than how we, we came. So knowing Jesus should lead to living like Jesus. Well, the the third mockerism is found in verse 12, a short verse. He says, Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. So the third blessing here is to anyone who places their trust in God. And I think that word has become watered down in our culture today um, to truly trust someone with our lives. It's more than simply believing. It's more than simply believing that God exists. Um, This is making Jesus the Lord of your life. It's keeping your heart and mind set on the things of heaven and not on earthly things, as the Apostle Paul wrote about in Colossians 3. And so I ask you today, you know, we have many things going on in our lives, difficulties, challenges, Are we setting our hearts and our minds on earthly things? Are we keeping them focused on heaven? Remember, this is a journey. We're pilgrims here. This isn't isn't the end of the story. This psalm gives us 
an example of a group of people who were willing to endure the journey in order to be in God's presence. Uh, They were pilgrims traveling from uh, one place to another. If we go to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14 says, For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. That's the heart of God's people here. This world is is not our permanent home. And again, I want to implore you to not live your life like this is it. I, I will never forget this illustration that Francis Chan did one time. I've probably shared it with you many times, but he uh, was at a conference and he stretched out some yarn all the way across the stage and he went to one end and he decided to color just the very tip of it red and the rest was just the, you know, the rest of the yarn. And he said, this represents eternity Yet so many of us live life right here in this little section that's colored red. This is life here on earth, but that's not it. It's it's this small portion compared to what God has in store for us forever. And the, the writer of Hebrews is saying this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. We are looking forward that we are pilgrims. We're on a journey. Like the writers of this psalm, as believers, we too are looking forward to the end of this journey. You could say we're temporary residents here as we look forward to heaven. And as temporary residents, it's important that we prepare for our forever home with God by living for him today. I have two short points of application that I think will help us live faithfully for Jesus while we're on this journey or this pilgrimage called life. And so this is the uh, the application portion of, of the message. We've done more of the teaching and now now's the application. Uh, number one is that, you know, while we're on this journey, um, our joy is in the Lord. Our joy is in the Lord. Um, there's a big difference between joy and happiness. I think we confuse the two a lot of times. Uh, happiness is circumstantial. Our, our happiness tends to fluctuate based on circumstances. But joy is a gladness of heart that comes from knowing God, uh, abiding in Christ, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. The kind of joy that I'm talking about is the kind of joy that the world and our daily circumstances cannot take away because it's rooted in Christ. So where our happiness can change like the weather, (laughs) that's often, our joy is constant in the Lord. It's rooted in who God is and who we are in Christ. Amen? Amen? Our joy is expressed in our decision-making. It's expressed in our actions and behavior, our relationships, and our service to God. It's expressed in how we connect with God throughout the day through prayer and worship and how we learn to rely on God more and more regardless of the season that we go through. So as we look forward to our forever home, we need to remember, friends, that our joy is in the Lord. Is our joy in our circumstances? And is our happiness in circumstances? Our, our joy is in the Lord. It's rooted in Christ. The second point of application is this, that not only is our joy in the Lord, but our strength is in the Lord. Our strength is in the Lord. You know, when we experience one of life's storms, our attitude should be uh, to pass through it with God's help, not remain stuck in it alone. Think about that for a moment. Our attitude should be to pass through it with God's help, not remain stuck in it alone. Uh, True pilgrims, temporary residents, we learn how to rely on God's strength and not our own. So the message of our culture 
And I think it's just disgusting. The message of our culture is self-help. You can help yourself. The message of the Bible is to rely on God. There's a big difference between the two. We're not called to rely on our own strength. If we try to do that, we're going to fail every time. We're called to learn how to rely on the Lord. Psalm 55 verse 2 says, Give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. You know, when we slip and fall, I think it's because we're trying to do life in our own strength, our own way, by our design. We've forgotten that we can rely on the Lord, that we should rely on the Lord, that our strength comes from Him. So, so I think practically speaking, you know, and I've, I've, I've preached many sermons on, the, on this truth of finding our strength in the strength of the Lord. Um, but I was sitting there this week, and I, and I just thought, okay, we could stop here. That's a great truth. But I don't know that I've ever given this a lot of thought as to what does this look like practically? You know, you have someone say, hey, you just need to have your strength in the Lord. Well, that sounds great. How do I do that? You know, I, if you're anything like me, I need a, a, like a user manual, right? I need to know how to do this. And so I, I kind of scoured some resources this week, and I, I landed on something that I'm actually going to borrow. Uh, this is from Pastor John Piper, and uh, he wrote a great article on this idea of finding our strength in the strength of the Lord. He, he did this in 2014, and so I'm just going to steal some things from him this morning and share them with you because I think they're great. Uh, number one, he says this is done in steps. Uh, number one, admit. And specifically, we admit that I can do nothing apart from God. As you're on this, this journey called life, when things are challenging, when things are difficult, you, you need to start by admitting that I can do nothing apart from God. And we read about this truth in John 15, verse 5. Jesus said, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. So the goal is to produce fruit for God, but he says, apart from me, you can do, and what's the word? Nothing. He's saying you can do nothing significant for God in your own strength. You have to stay connected to the source. You have to stay connected to the vine. So it starts by admitting that, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I can't do anything of significance apart from you. The second thing that he mentions is, is to pray. And specifically, we pray for God's help for the task at hand. Pray for God's help. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 uh, reminds us, uh, don't worry about anything. That's easier said than done. Amen? <laughs> Well, this is the formula. This is how we learn not to worry about things. He said, instead of worrying, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So we, we share our needs with God. He already knows them, but prayer causes us to learn how to be dependent on him. It connects us with God. We thank God for all he's done in our lives in the past. That's something we saw in the psalm last week. He says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So we need this protection in our lives as we are seeking to live for God. Whether it's in our marriage, in our parenting, in our work, in the life of our church family, we're all so different from each other. But what we have in common is Christ. And I think far too often those differences can cause us to be at each other's throats every now and then. He's saying here, as you, as you live for God, um, you need to learn to rely on God. You, we, God's peace is what will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
It's also a reminder for us today that prayer is really meant to be our first line of offense, not our last line of defense. And even as your pastor, I have to admit that you know, far too often, prayer becomes uh, a last line of defense for me. I've exhausted all other resources, and then finally, you know, I go to God in prayer, I bring it to him, and guess what? He's faithful. I experience his peace. It surpasses all human understanding. It's like, why didn't I go to God in the first place? I think it's because we're creatures of habit and we, we like to try to do things on our own. But we need to learn how to rely on God. Number three, this third step is to trust. Specifically, um, we trust a particular promise in God's word. Um, so 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 4 says, And because of his glory and excellence, uh, God has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. So we, we don't just pray for God's help and strength hour by hour. We, we learn to trust specific promises of God hour by hour. You know, one author wrote that there's over 8,000 promises that God has made in his word to his people. Cover to cover, the Bible is full of promises. And there, there's a promise for every situation in life. So I think it's important, important that we're, we're rooted in the Word, that we um, are in the Word throughout the week. And as you read these promises, there's something that's going to come to mind. That's why it's important to hide God's Word in our heart, that we don't forget it. So we, we trust a particular promise. Uh, but then step four, uh, he, he says, is to act. We don't just trust, but we also act. And we act in faith based on the promise. So we act in faith based on the promise that we read in God's word. Now, James 2.20 reminds us that faith without works is dead. So it's not enough to admit that we need God's help to pray about a particular situation and even trust uh, that God's word is true. We're also called to put our faith to work. And we do that by acting based on what we say we believe. We put our faith to work. We act in faith based on the promises that are found in Scripture. And then number five, I think we forget this one a lot. We thank God. We thank Him for providing the help that we, we need. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. This is kind of my passage for the year. I have it written in my office so I can look at this every day if I, if I need to. It says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So what the Apostle Paul doesn't say here is be thankful for all circumstances. There are some circumstances in life um, that it would just be silly to be thankful for that. Right? We're not thankful necessarily for the pain, but we can be thankful in the midst of the pain. Right? We can be thankful that God is with us, that God is using us, that God is teaching us and, and leading us through the pain. Paul says, be thankful in all circumstances. Friends, regardless of what you go through, you can be thankful in the midst of it. And you can be thankful because of who God is, because of what he's done, because of his promises, because of who he says you are in Christ. Be thankful in all circumstances. Um, Alistair Begg teaches his congregation that um, one of the distinctive marks of the Christian experience is a thankful heart. He puts that right at the top, really, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that you are known for having a thankful heart in the Lord. Is, I would ask you today, you know, is that something that you're known for? 
If we were to just individually have you leave the room today and have everyone else stay behind and say, give me one word that describes this person that just walked out of the room, would they say thankful? I don't know about you, but I want to be known as someone who is thankful. I want to be thankful every day for, for who God is. I want to be thankful for the blessings that he's, he's given me, for the opportunities that he's put in front of me to share his word with others. Are you thankful? Would that describe you today? I think we're pretty good at asking for God's help most of the time, but we often forget this aspect of thankfulness. You know, much of our time together on Sunday mornings really should be an opportunity to give thanks. And there's, because there's always a reason to, to be thankful. So kind of recapping these, these five steps, how do we find our strength in the strength of the Lord? I hope that gives you some practical things to think about today. You know, we, we admit that apart from God, we, we can do nothing. Um, we pray, we ask for God's help. And we trust a particular promise in God's word. We act on that promise. We can't just say we believe it. We have to act on it. And then we give thanks. We thank God for how he's working in our lives. And so in closing, I would say that, you know, although times of solitude and, and retreat in our lives can be very, very beneficial to us, I, I, I know many of us look forward to vacation time and times off work and just times of rest. But those can be good things. We also need to remember that Today, like at this very moment, we have constant open access into the presence of God because of Jesus' finished work on the cross and his constant intercession for us in heaven. Why is that a big deal? Well, if you look back to Psalm 84, we don't have to journey long distances several times a year in order to worship God. Unless you're Mara May and she walks from her house to here basically every time. But... <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to journey long distances to be in God's presence. We, we can worship and connect with him at any point throughout the day, seven days a week. So in this journey, this pilgrimage, my question for you is, are you finding your joy in the Lord? Are you finding your strength in the Lord if this has been an area of struggle for you, I would encourage you to remember and reflect on Psalm 84, this beautiful psalm of longing and worship. Ask God to give you that, that kind of heart that you see in this psalm.